Hello and welcome to How's the Water, our more than occasional podcast about literature. And today, as ever, I'm joined by Sienna. Yeah, hello. Welcome in e podcast Ilogar. How's the water? Today I'm speaking in Icelandic. That was Icelandic because we are looking at Iceland's most well-known book or possibly most well-known book, Independent People by Haldor Laxness. I really liked the sound of your Icelandic there. Thank but, you. Uh, what did it mean exactly? Hello and welcome to our podcast. Ah, yeah, I should have worked that out. A brighter, per- <laughs> a brighter person than me would have figured that out. Um, it wasn't very creative. I just parroted what you said. Was it Google Translate? It was. Okay, well, thank you, Google Translate. The first of our, <laughs> the first of our thank yous for today. Um, yeah, so independent people. Uh, to be honest with you, this isn't a book. Uh, I'd heard of before you brought it to the table for for us to discuss here. Um, what made you suggest this novel? Well, I first learned about this book when I was in Iceland, actually, almost a year ago, pre-coronavirus uh, lockdown holiday that we took. Um, Ryan and I, we went to Reykjavik for uh, the better part of a week. And I have a friend there. Her name is Asta. And she is Icelandic and she actually works for a company. I think it's Storytel. It's like an international version of Audible. Mm -hmm. So it translates very well-known books into the, uh, into different languages. So she works for the, the Icelandic branch of that. She's really into books. So when I met up with her there, we went around to various bookshops and I think that when you go to a place, um, my idea of a really interesting keepsake from places I go on holiday are books from that country. And so I just asked her for her recommendations and she gave me a few and I like the sound of this one best. So that's what I bought. And as I think we're going to come to find out, it's a really remarkable piece of writing, piece of piece of work. So uh, I'm really happy that we did this and recommended it to you. And yeah, you did. Forward with it as well. Uh, yeah, I definitely was. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm really happy that you did uh, recommend it. So yeah, thanks for doing that. And thank you to Asta as well. Yeah, it was a really good suggestion. I'm really looking forward to getting into it. What What did you like in particular about about the book? May I ask? Well, I think and we both kind of said this when we started reading it, it's very similar to Tolstoy, Mm. I think. So the prose that Laxness wrote with is just incredibly beautiful. Um, Very Tolstoy-esque in that I think it's very concerned with like everyday life. Um, A lot of like realism is in there. It's the plight of provincial people versus the government and um, things like that, that you might see in a lot of, you know, Anna Karenina and and things like that. But there are like Icelandic touches with it. So there's stuff about like elves and demons, Hilderfolk, uh, which Asta briefed me about when we, when I went, do not engage the Hilder folk, she said. Uh, So that's something you guys should know if you're ever going to go. Yeah. So there's, it's just like, oh, every once in a while they'll mention the elves and different demons and talking to animals like they're people. So there's a bit where they're like, did someone go speak to the horse and tell him that he's involved in a funeral today so that he knows. And that's, that's quite nice. And there's an interesting sense of humor throughout that I think is very particular to Icelandic people. And there's lots of coffee. They talk about coffee a lot. Don't be stingy with the coffee, they say. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at an empty coffee cup. So I really <laughs> liked, I really like the coffee bits myself. Actually, it's not quite empty. I'm going to, I'm going to finish it next time you're speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I liked all the coffee as well. I wondered how good the coffee was, though, that they were making on these kind of fairly remote farms in the Icelandic countryside. I, I don't think they had as good a coffee machine as I've got, I have to be honest. <laughs> but for for me, um, I really liked, I mean, I'm a, a big fan of Tolstoy. I'd, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. So I really like those elements of the book. And I sort of shared your point of view there, that it's really similar. I like the language as well. Um, I'm quite into isolation. Um, this is a good time for me, coronavirus, because I'm enjoying oh. the isolation. 
Um, so I, I like that, the kind of the way the people in it are kind of separate from the city. And I also, I don't think this is showing me in the best light, but I also like books with um, characters that are not always that sympathetic, that you're not mm-hmm. necessarily led to identify with, because I, I think that's oversimplistic sometimes. And yeah. I really like that you're not encouraged to particularly like anyone in the book i don't think i mean you can draw your own kind of judgments on who you do like but i don't think that the way the book is structured or written makes you feel sympathetic towards anyone in particular really and so i really like that especially our main character who we'll be hearing a lot about i think yeah the um main character biarter he's it's so unlikable and the book pretty much the entire time with a few exceptions just follows him mm-hmm. and his point of view and his thoughts and his you know ev- you know everything that he does so that's quite interesting yeah i really like that about it i think mm-hmm. do we want to continue maybe by you telling us a little bit about a little bit about the book's writer haldor laxness definitely so haldor Kilian Laxness was born Haldor Gustjonsson in Reykjavik on April 23rd, 1902. He had the same birthday as Cervantes and Shakespeare. So I think that means you're destined for great things. Yeah. Uh, at age three, he moved to a farm in Mosfelsver Parish. He began reading stories and writing at a young age. He published his first novel, Child of Nature, in 1919. He traveled around Europe, and in 1922, he joined the Abbe St. Maurice et St. Maur in Clairvaux, Luxembourg. And in 1923, he was baptized and confirmed into the Catholic Church, and he took the surname Laxness after the homestead on which he was brought up. Although he wrote about his experiences in Under the Holy Mountain, and the great weaver from Kashmir, his religious period did not last long, and he attempted to write screenplays and gave lectures in the USA between 1927 and 1929, during which time he was drawn to socialism. Yeah, you you love socialism in America, (laughs) don't you? Yeah, as you'll see, they did not care for him. And very much in America, because in 1929, following an incident in which he was detained and his passport forfeited after he wrote a critical article on America, Laxness returned to Iceland. I think 1929 was probably quite a good year to leave America, though, given what happened that year. I agree. You are so right. Uh, He published the two parts of Salka Valka, uh, Oh Thou Pure Vine and The Bird on the Beach, and Independent People in 1935, which has been considered one of the greatest novels of the 20th century. And without further ado, shall we begin? Yeah, let's. The novel is set in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, The first chapter consists of a short folktale about Gunvor, an evil woman who worships the equally evil spirit Kolumkili. Governor makes her husband kill her children and then murders him. Drinking his blood, she gains strength by drinking the blood of other men. Uh, awesome. But, yeah, lovely. Her spirit is said to haunt the area in which the novel is set, and a traveller must cast a stone where her body lies to ward off misfortune. As the narrative proper of the, of the plot begins in Chapter 2, we meet the story's protagonist, Gubbajato Johnson, known as Bajato, of summer houses, who after 18 years working as a shepherd at the home of the wealthy bailiff, who he can't stand, uh, he's not the only person he can't stand, mm-hmm. has made his first payment on his own farm, of which he changes the name from winter houses to summer houses, because he's such a summery person. Oh, yes, you'll we'll see. Now, talking about the bailiff really quickly... The bailiff now regularly visits Bjarter to offer him condescending advice and help about his farm. Bjarter resents the bailiff as he represents a time when he was dependent. Sometimes the bailiff brings his son and daughter along with him on his visits. Bjarter is resolutely and stubbornly independent. For example, his new land is haunted by Gunvor, who made a pact with Kolumkili. And even when his new bride Rosa pleads with him, he refuses to lay a stone to appease her. 
His new wife is deeply unhappy as soon as she joins him on his farm, hating the poverty of her surroundings in comparison to the relative luxury she's used to in the bailiff's home. And because of her resentfulness, the marriage is tense. This is not helped by the fact that she might have been somewhat promiscuous before the wedding, and Biarter soon discovers she is pregnant with the child of the bailiff's son, Ingolfer Arneson Johnson. While Bajato is away on the annual sheep roundup, he leaves Rosa with the Gimmer. So the Gimmer is a young female sheep uh, before it's had its first lamb. Rosa is scared one night in a storm and being very superstitious, she comes to believe the sheep is possessed by the devil. Rosa kills the animal uh, by slitting its throat and eating it. Very, and this bit is very graphically described. Yeah, it was gnarly. It was. I, <laughs> I love that bit. On his return, <laughs> He discovers that the sheep is absent and Bajata presumes that Rosa has allowed the animal to go free. He then heads out into a snowstorm to hunt for the sheep, not before she has fed it to him. Which is <laughs> <laughs> <Just> hilarious. <laughs> oh, I love, I love this part of the book. After an encounter with a stag, who he tries to capture and later is convinced was the devil incarnate, Bajata nearly perishes himself from exposure. When he arrives home, he discovers that Rosa has died in childbirth, but the baby girl she has uh, given birth to has survived. He elects to raise the child as his own, and he names her Asta Solihija, uh, which means beloved son Lily. And that is the end of book one, part one. It's so, uh, yeah, it's lovely. A lovely, <laughs> a lovely beginning to the book. Um, so what are your thoughts uh, on the behavior of Bichetto and Rosa? Well, the thing about Bjarter is that he is born of a time in Iceland when there was an independence movement going on. So if you know anything about the history of Iceland, um, it was a colony of Denmark for like a thousand years. And at the turn of the century, they were in the middle of this huge independence movement. Um, it was like, like the Guam of... <laughs> Denmark, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Uh, and so Bjarter's already, you know, born of this, this, this movement that started in like the 1840s and everything. Um, but also, uh, he, he comes from a stock of people who are very, very into this idea of like survival um, in the wilderness. Um, which is how a lot of people got on in Iceland for uh, the better part of a, a millennium, really. It's the idea that, you know, agriculture is this big deal and um, you kind of stand on your own two feet and you you fight the nature and it's always a struggle with nature and everything. And the thing about that is there's so many people now, I think, who really, they romanticize that. And... Um, it's like, oh, I'd love to go live out in nature and live off the land, but it's not fun. And it's not something you do to have a good time. It's hard work and he's up for it and mm -hmm. he can sacrifice being, you know, a, a lot of comforts and happiness and everything. He's fine with it because that's the life he's committed to. Rosa is just a normal person who grew up in a nice house with relatively nice things. And I think that shock of going from that to the middle of nowhere. And he's like, Nope, we, you, you have to eat. Um, what is it? They're always eating rotten fish and, <laughs> and just like random stuff from the land. They're not allowed to eat. He won't let her eat any of his sheep, which leads her to go fucking crazy and kill a sheep, the sheep that she's left alone with. But um, he just deprives her of all of these things because he himself is beholden to this very superior idea of like, we're going to struggle and live off the land. And that's the life for me. He doesn't really seem to care about he's kind of just like, it's my way or the highway. And, you know, so that's what I kind of think of them. It's yeah. kind of it's sad, really, for her. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, that's his attitude throughout the whole of the book, really. You mm -hmm. know, we're, we're, we're doing things my way. It, it might have been interesting to see what the life before the start of the book was like, because we don't really get to see the life at the bailiff's house that they all had or how mm -hmm. much luxury was there. So it makes it a little bit harder to understand the transition. You know, the book begins as as they're moving into the farm, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. You just know that he's not happy um, being an employee, essentially working for somebody else. That's kind of all you know. Yeah, yeah. This is his dream, isn't it? I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some dream. Some dream. <laughs> okay. Shall we move on? And uh, would you like to tell us what happens in part two of book one? Definitely. So it is now 13 years later. Biarter has remarried to a woman named Finna. They live together at summer houses with their three sons, Helgi, Gvender, and Nani. Uh, also, they live with Halbera, who's Finna's mother, and Asta, the baby from the first part. Uh, we see Biarter further insisting on his independence here by refusing to be any part of farming cooperatives, which are forming in the area. He is also gifted a cow, which is provided by the bailiff and paid for by the Women's Institute. He resents the presence of this animal. And for this reason, even though his wife tends to it and appears to love it, um, he insists on slaughtering its calf and eventually the cow itself, much to Finna's despair. It's implied that this slaughter furthers Finna's decline and contributes to her death. Yes, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Finna. Um, and I would say that she's a much less kind of developed character than Bajata's first wife, Rosa. She's depicted as a woman who's bedridden much of the time due to a series of pregnancies, many of which end in miscarriages. She seems to leave much of the childcare to her mother. However, she develops a deep affection for the cow, which uh, has been given to the family, and is distraught when Bajato slaughters it. Uh, she's died by the beginning of part three of the book. Mm -hmm. In this part of the novel, Bajato and Asta, who is growing into a young woman, take a trip to Reykjavik. Asta is awed by the big city and its inhabitants. Moreover, her first sighting of the sea helps to set her imagination in motion. However, following a weird, awkward, erotic, <laughs> slightly erotic encounter with Bijato, uh, when they share a bed, she becomes confused and the uh, trip sours somewhat. Yes, uh, as it would. Yes, it would. It's a, it's a little bit strange, that part. And, and that is the end of that part. That's the end of book one. It is. We're sort of halfway through the book now, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So you're left with that very awkward <laughs> tidbit there. Well, yeah, there's that and the death of his wife. So he's oh. had um, two wives and they've both died. <laughs> both died yeah. in part in uh, a part of the first book. Yeah. So uh, at the beginning of this part, we actually become a bit more acquainted with um, Bjarter's family. And a lot of the perspective is from the point of view of the children. At the beginning, in particular, Nani who is, I don't know how old he is. Isn't he only about eight or nine? Yeah, something happens? like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did you like that? How did you, what did you make of that change of perspective for some of the initial chapters of that? Yeah, it caught me by surprise, actually, because part one has ended with the death and there's this feeling of isolation on the farm and now he's alone with a baby and a dog we haven't really talked about the dog much um and then suddenly we're 13 years later and it's a relatively full house isn't it um you know there's there's children there his mother-in-law his wife um so that kind of caught me off guard a little bit and yes suddenly we're really looking at one of the children and obviously this child is a new character to us i really liked it though i thought it was very interesting you know it didn't just continue in the same vein it was a very kind of comfortable and kind of confident transition to to something different and it seems at first like a happier time i think at the beginning yeah i think laxness did a really good job of of writing the the innocence of what it's like to be a child um, mm. into the story because Nani has a big imagination and he is, he makes games. He sees everything as a game and he sees everything in a very, very innocent way. And uh, so does Asta actually. And mm. um, whenever laxness writes in their voice, it is so um, endearing and it's so, I, it's just really well done. He did a really fantastic job. I, I thought at that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's lovely. Um, yeah, it's part of the kind of 
transition i guess isn't mm-hmm. it from this you know we've, we've just come you know in from a snowstorm to find a baby and um a wife dead on the floor and then suddenly yeah we're, we're here we're seeing how things look from the point of view of a child mm-hmm. uh, and yeah which as you say is really evocative and, and well written and well mm. depicted can i ask you a question as well mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts on bijato at this point well i guess it's just a continuation really of the 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 first part in the sense that you get to see in good years the when the farm is prospering they're all kind of just making it work but in bad years that's when people die Mm, yeah (laughs) uh, Yeah. famine or like they're starving or there's disease so even in the best of times it's still like really hard (laughs) oh yeah and he really is just like yeah we're dealing with it because this is the life that we're you know we're 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 better than other people and we've chosen this life but everyone's miserable everyone's so miserable that just a cow being on the scene really lifts everybody up and he can't understand (laughs) it and he kills the cow he just fucks over everybody's good time he shits on everyone's good time yeah he hates the cow doesn't it because the cow is a gift and Mm -hmm. the cow is charity yeah and he hates hates charity so Mm -hmm. the first opportunity he has he kills the calf which really upsets the cow and then he kills the cow which really upsets his wife so uh you kind of see his belligerence really coming to the fore here Uh and whereas i think in the first part in heading out into the snowstorm is kind of almost heroic in some ways he goes to rescue a sheep yeah it's a fool's mission but it's kind of but this is not heroic i mean it's just it seems pretty stupid to me yeah, because you you know you've got family and you're kind of condemning them to to more misery by doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I think of it really, mm. and him. So very unlikable at this point. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, does he get does he get any more likable? Do you want to tell us about? Yeah. Um, we're into book two now, so do you want to tell us what happens in book two, part one? Yes. At the beginning of the second book, Finna is dead sent over the edge by the slaughter of that cow. Biarter discovers some of his sheep slaughtered in mysterious circumstances. Many of the neighbors believe it is the work of Killy and gather at the farm to help. However, Biarter is his normal hospitable self and they soon leave. He again refuses to cast tribute in the form of a stone to the spirit. His eldest son, uh, who was his eldest son? Can't remember his name. Oh, I've forgotten the name. Um, uh, Helgi. Helgi, yes. Yeah. He, uh, his eldest son, Helgi, then suddenly disappears after taking walks in the snow. Also, like no one is actually concerned when he disappears and just never comes back. Yeah. Except for Asta a little. Like nobody mentions it. <laughs> yeah, they don't, it just doesn't really register that with them what a tragedy it is. No. Whereas I think I think in some books, this would be like a major event you know, or yeah. the major event in the book. It's kind of just like, oh, Helgi's been gone for a while. Oh, well. And then things happen and nobody talks about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Biarter resigns himself to leaving the farm to look for work. And he puts Asta in charge. Okay, yes. And after Bijato is absent for a period of time, a man arrives at the farm claiming to be a teacher sent by him. This man is very poetic, but spends a lot of time laying in his bed claiming to be ill. In spite of this, Asta, who seems to develop an attachment to all all the men she encounters in the book, as as she certainly does with uh, the teacher, and she tries to look after him. He writes a a letter requesting medicine, which Asta sends, and then she's longing for the medicine to come and make the man better. When it does, the teacher appears to recover quickly and then seduces Asta. Uh, Mm -hmm. Afterwards, they both feel ashamed, but she, the young girl, reassures him and takes the responsibility. The teacher leaves soon after. Mm-hmm. Um, Biarter returns having been forced to work for the cooperative the farming cooperative soon yeah. after he reveals to Nani that Nani has the opportunity to go to America Nani is Biarter's youngest son if you remember and partly based on laxness himself actually uh, something special is seen in him by his late mother, Finna, who believes the elves have predicted he will do great things and grandmother who feels she has a bond with him 
He has a desire to travel and a big imagination. So when Biarter gives Nani the choice of whether to go, Nani accepts and leaves. That's the last we see of him. That's it. Nani is gone from this point, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And Asta is taken away to be confirmed by the family of the bailiff. Uh, she returns with the bailiff's wife, who reveals to Bajata that Asta is pregnant. Biasha tells this wife that he won't have anything to do with Asta now, as she isn't part of his bloodline. Mm. He casts her out, and the part ends with him tending to one of his sheep and its newly born lambs. So a kind of ironic ending, I think, where he's thrown out his pregnant daughter, although she's not his natural daughter, but Mm -hmm. he's still looking after the sheep and its lambs. Yeah, so a very paternal ending there, but he's just done a very not paternal yeah 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 there's something really being said said by that i think yeah um do you saying that do you sympathize with asta's situation at all Uh, yes (laughs) yes of course yeah (laughs) um i feel that she is possibly no well possibly the most unfortunate character in the book or the most unfortunate character that lasts throughout the book and she doesn't disappear in a snowstorm or anything like that or die giving childbirth so that's possibly a slightly silly thing to say but you know she is illegitimate and i don't know it's not really clear whether she knows this or not Uh, she's very very isolated from society she's lonely but she seems to be intelligent as well i think so she has quite vivid fantasies um and as i sort of said before she attaches herself quite quickly to men that appear in her life. She's very, very attached to Bijatur up until this point, mm. the, te- the teacher um, as well. And um, there's another guest, isn't there, that comes to stay that we haven't really mentioned. He comes to camp out on the farm for a while. Oh, she- yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she also really, really, really likes him as well. And I think this is just part of her wanting a connection with the world of some kind. Um, and I don't even know if she knows that this is lacking, but it, it clearly is, I think. So yeah, a lot, I have a lot of sympathy. That's my long answer to that short question. That's a good answer. In saying that, do you want to get into book two, part two? Okay, so in book two, part two, World War One has begun, and this has created a huge demand for Icelandic wool and other products and this has created a boom in the farming community Mm -hmm. in the novel Uh, in fact the first chapter of this part is called when Ferdinand was shot so Sienna do you know who Ferdinand was yeah of course Franz Ferdinand right yeah the band the band from (laughs) from the rock band from Scotland yeah Uh yeah I know the the Archduke Ferdinand Yes, he was shot in Sarajevo, I believe. No, <laughs> I thought you were going to say he was shot in the back. No, <laughs> well, he, he was shot. He was in his car. And the man that shot him was called Gavrilo Princip, I believe. Ooh, very good. Yeah, good history yeah. drop there. Yeah. Anyway, back to the book. Bijato decides to relinquish some of his independence and similarly to some of the other farmers, he uses the cooperative to borrow money and build himself big house on his land a relatively big house for a while things are looking good for Bajato, and now he has the money to hire help around the property including a servant named wait for it brinja 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 okay and i think you wanted to say a little bit about her yeah shall i list some positives to having brinja around Mm -hmm. go ahead she's very clean she isn't wasteful or frivolous. Okay, these are good points. She's dependable. I like that too. She's full-figured and nice to look at. Uh, no comment on that part. <laughs> uh, also, she has her own horse and her own furniture. Oh, it gets better and better. Mm-hmm. So thing, things are looking great at the summer houses now. Yeah. Meanwhile, his middle son, Gvender who has an innate love and understanding of sheep herding, is invited by his uncle and brother, Nani, to join him in America. And it is insane how quickly he's just like, yeah, bye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, given the conditions they're living in, um, yeah. I, it's understandable to say the least, I think. Sure. Um, his father is disparaging of the offer, telling him to remain in Iceland. Gvender elects to go traveling to 
get the boat with the money sent by his uncle. And Biarter sends him with some poetic verses to recite to Asta should he come across her. Uh, in the village of Fjord, Gvender sees Asta for the first time since she was cast out of the house. And she is now a single mother living in poverty. So this is a few years later. And Asta is a, a quite a bit older now. He recites the verses which indicate that Biarter would like her to come home to live in his new house. Uh, but Asta reveals she's engaged to a poet and has no intention of going back and has even rejected offers of help from her real father, who, as we know, is Ingolfer Arneson Johnson, a character who we see periodically throughout the novel, but more and more towards the end. He is the son of the bailiff. He's a politically ambitious man and is running for election at different parts of the book. IAJ, as I will now call him. <laughs> is behind the cooperative of farmers that Bajata rejects uh, for most of the novel. He encourages Bajata to borrow from the bank, and this ultimately leads to the farmer being ruined. Johnson, though, eventually becomes prime minister of Iceland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a man with a plan. Oh, yes, he certainly <laughs> is, yeah. So, back to the novel. Govender leaves Astor alone. He's now famous in the town <laughs> as, he's going, as he's going to America, and he waits around for his ship the next morning. However, Govender is enticed by the siren song of IAJ's very pretty daughter, who distracts him with her beauty and fine horses. They ride to a lake together and share a romantic interlude there but she abandons him in the night, meaning he doesn't catch his ship and instead buys a racehorse with the money, intending to impress her when he sees her again. <laughs> he eventually succeeds in kind of engineering an encounter with her as she sits in the back of her father's car, smoking. Oh dear, that's never good. <laughs> this is like the original, like rebellious teenager <laughs> oh yeah she definitely is yeah she insults Gavendor for not taking the boat and he returns to his father's farm with his <laughs> tail very 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 much between his legs yeah he this is it's really funny because he doesn't realize you're only impressive if you go yeah no yeah you don't yeah. go you're nobody <laughs> yeah yeah he has to go and come back you know to be an interesting person yeah otherwise you know he's just a, a dupe who's missed the um who's missed a boat isn't he otherwise yeah yeah who who he squandered a great opportunity yeah yeah that's all yeah. that is yeah so yeah yeah uh, he very foolish life lesson life lesson he had to yeah. learn indeed he still <laughs> he still holds a torch for her though doesn't he and he believes that they're going to come back and um Maybe there'll, there'll be something between them, even as her father becomes like the prime minister of Iceland. I know. Yeah. <laughs> He's just this nobody who didn't do anything great. He's like, you st we have a nice thing. And she's like, <laughs> you didn't go to America. Yeah. You're no one. You're nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, too bad. Too bad for him. Oh, yeah. Teenage love. Oh, bless it. So yeah. fickle. Yeah. Uh, one day, on an errand in Fjord, Gvender asks Bjartur if he wants to go see Asta. He refuses to see her. He gives the poor kid more verse to recite, which again insinuates that he loves her and would like her to come back. Uh, Gvender relays this to Asta, who has moved into a decrepit hovel with her fiancé and is pregnant with two children now, and she's living with extreme, in extreme poverty. Again, she proudly tells him she wouldn't dream of going back to the summer houses while there is breath in her body. Very dramatic. Yeah. However, as the war ends, the boom comes to an end, leaving Bjarter in debt to the Bank of Iceland, and he's put on rations for goods like bread and tobacco. Brynja, the helpful, not annoying maid, remember, selflessly uses the last salary he paid her to purchase valuable provisions for them like coffee. But what does he do? He throws her out of the house because he's independent and will depend on no one's charity, tempted though he may be. Yeah, yes. Yeah, sort of the first time we see him like really tempted, isn't it, at this point? Is it like the smell of the coffee kind of drawing him in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he yeah. just goes, no. And no. he tells her to go and he tells her to go away. Yeah, he's just like, you must leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is she's sad too. Like she cries and stuff. Yeah. She was happy there and she liked it. Oh, yes. It's like, don't help me. <laughs> Out you go. Yeah, it's a bit uh, horrible. Yeah. 
Ultimately, Bjarter's house proves to be an expensive folly, and eventually it and his land are repossessed and are put up for auction. So, yes. Yeah, that's the end of that dream. Independence. Yeah, mm, yeah it's all over. So I think, rather than have any questions at this point, should we just go on to book two, part three? Yeah, it's the, the ending, really. It is. It's like a little, it's very short, this part, isn't it? So the book finishes with Bijato and Gavendor planning to move to his mother-in-law, Halbera's old house. Yeah, that old woman's still there. Finna's she, mom. <laughs> I know, all the way she's, through the book. She's I'm thinking she's, she's going to die. <laughs> but no. I know everybody, including her, they're all hoping that she dies, but she doesn't. Yeah. She's, she's still alive um, at the end of the book, unlike some of the other characters. After an encounter with a laborer, both men, uh, Bijato and Gavendor, join them at a gathering ahead of a clash with the police the next day. Bijato questions his own independence as he accepts stolen bread from the men, leaving Gavendor there, feeling he's more at home with the men than him. Bajetto leaves and by chance encounters Asta's oldest daughter, who looks just like her, just like Asta as a child. This prompts him to finally visit Asta, who's been abandoned by the father of her two children, the poet, and is sick, probably with tuberculosis, and she's living in abject poverty. Um, can I just say how happy I am that we no longer have tuberculosis circulating freely in society anymore no it's great i got my in, i got my injection my bcg in the second year of secondary school still uh, got the scar i've still got the scar but i'm very happy you know reading this book I'm even more happy that uh, i got that injection consumption was no joke no, no no fun in spite of their shared stubbornness both bijato and asta instantly reconcile and he invites mm. her to live with him at their new home mm -hmm. uh, the novel ends with Vijato, the aged but still living Albera, <laughs> Asta and her two children traveling to their new home. Vijato carries the dying Asta in his arms, ruminating on the fate of the poor but independent men. And that's the end. It is. That's, yeah, that's the end of this book. Now, what did you think of the ending? It's quite uh, bittersweet, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to put it. Um, I didn't think they were going to reconcile, to be honest, because he's so stubborn throughout the book and it and it obviously transfers itself onto her ultimately and she becomes really stubborn as well. Mm. But I was really happy that they reconciled, to be honest, because you kind of slightly invested in both of these characters and you want them to have some kind of happiness and everything that's up until this point has been pretty miserable. Even the high points, you kind of have this feeling are not going to last very long. So that's nice. But obviously, Asta, who is possibly the most likable character in the book, she's she's dying and she's leaving behind two more children oh. who are going to li live with Bijato and this old woman. And you, you wonder if the whole cycle is just going to start again. Yeah. 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 Or you wonder if Bjarter's redeemed himself in this act of... Um... I don't know, humility or, you know, what, what would you call it? He's just kind of um, put aside his pride, I guess, in going to see her. He's the one that breaks first. Yeah, know? definitely. Yeah. I think the first sign of that is with the, co with the coffee, the, the maid, whose name I can't pronounce, he, Virginia, 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 yeah. because he is tempted by that. And we don't really see that at any point up until then. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, so I would say that at that point, you know, he is becoming a bit more open and a bit more willing to relinquish some of his independence. Um, yeah, so maybe that will be that will continue with these two children, which are going to live with him. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, my question for you is: I've already said that Asta is my favorite character in the book. Um, maybe apart from the girl smoking in the back of the car. I was going to um, say, oh, I love her. <laughs> She's my. Well, who is your favorite character? Is, um... is it her? Oh, you no, not really. Cause she's um, sassy, and I'm a fan of sassy, but um, you don't really see that much of her aside from, you know, the interlude by the lake and mm. you know, car and her dad's car and stuff. Um, I don't know. I think really maybe Nani. 
okay. the little boy. I quite like yeah. him as a character just because he's talk about the law of attraction. He was just like, I'm going to go and be somebody. And then he gets a, a letter from his dad saying, Oh, we'd like your son, Nani to come to America. I think it's that, that quote unquote teacher who facilitates that in, yeah, in yeah, a way with yeah. the wishes. What do you guys wish for? And he mm. hooks, hooks him up. Yeah, in that way. True. But he's such a, you know, he has such an interesting point of view on the world. And he's very, very interested and open minded. And he takes the opportunities given to him. And I think uh, I quite like that about him. So yeah, you, you miss him when he's gone, Nonny, because he's there and then he's gone and then you just don't see him again in the rest of the book. No, and, uh... except when they he summons his older brother vendor yeah, because yeah. We, with saying here's some money you can come to america now you can be anything you want <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> we're living it up here when was this like after the war so it would have been a pretty cool time to be in america i think yeah probably uh, roaring yeah. 20s going on uh, you know, i'd go yeah would you yeah, yeah. it's like okay. come to america you can do whatever you want and be anybody that you want would you do yeah i would definitely go yeah, 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 but you can't um, discount the pulling power of an attractive girl on a horse. <laughs> oh, I guess not. No. Yeah. Would you like to read for us the rest of Haldor Laxness's biography? What happened to him after the publication of Independent People? So he continued to publish works, including novels, plays, essays, and then memoirs into the 70s and the 80s. And these include a four-part novel. Uh, I can't say this word. Heimslios, which is called World Light. Um, the three-part work of historical fiction. Um, Iceland's Klukin. Iceland's Bell, and the work of theater, The Pigeon Banquet. That's much easier to say. He traveled to the Soviet Union and wrote with praise about the communist system and culture he found there. And in 1952, he even won the Lenin Peace Prize. <laughs> and, he, and the year after, he won the Soviet-sponsored World Peace Council Literary Prize. Oh, there's the nothing like... Communists loved him. Yeah, especially Stalin, that peace-loving leader. Oh, yeah. That was, that was in charge around that time. Uh, in 1955, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature because they don't discriminate the Nobel Prize. Uh, he was married twice, first to Ingesbjörg Einersdottir from 1930 until they divorced in 1940. And he was married to Auther Sveinsdottir who was a writer and craftswoman from 1945 until he died at the age of 95 in 1998. Okay. Yeah. You've, you've really got that Icelandic pronunciation. I mean, you, you were only there for a week, <laughs> you say, but I think you, uh, Thank you, you. Know, you've, you've picked a bit up when you were there by the sounds of it. I picked up how to say the, the endings of people's last names. Okay. So that's something I think. Yeah. Is, you know. for you. Cheers. Uh, can I ask you a question? Yes, of course you can. So uh, question for number one, would you sell out the independence of this podcast to a major corporation? Uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, exact, what are we selling out exactly? When you say the independence, what, what would we be giving up? You know, if um, let's say, you know, we could we lose out on our, our creative decision making and we we have to do the books that they tell us to do and talk about the topics they want us to talk about. But we're making money. But you, we just we just have no say in the direction things go. Would you would you still do it? Mm, no, I don't think so. No, I wouldn't want to give all that up for for money i don't think yeah, i mean okay. i guess i guess it would depend which books they were telling us if and we, how much money yes definitely yeah how much money i mean we, we both know that this is a very lucrative enterprise anyway mm. on its own obviously yeah um, but it would take a lot of money for me to start praising the da vinci code or something like that i think <laughs> <laughs> just to attract more listeners yeah um, uh so yeah it would depend i mean i I there's things that I would give up. I wouldn't mind if every now and again we had to do a book that other people suggested and we got paid for that. That would be fine, but not completely. 
no, I wouldn't do that. I, I just wouldn't see the point in it, to be honest with you. No, nor I. Fair enough. No. Uh, so I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. If you if you had a ticket to the land of your dreams, which I think you said in an earlier episode was Thailand, but on your way to the airport, you met the girl or guy of your dreams. What would you do? Just go. You don't be an idiot. You got to go. <laughs> I would still go. It's not. How do you know, really, on the way on the way to the place? You, you meet someone for five minutes and you can't, you know, the thing with this kid, yeah. Bender, he's just has no, they're all so naive. They live out all alone and isolated. And so they all, the first time they encounter anybody they find remotely attractive, they suddenly like lose their minds. That happens with Asta and it happens with him. And um, I, I, I would like to think I'm not that naive. Okay. So Sick. no, I would not. I wouldn't stick around. I'd still go, but I'd be like, well, that was a cool person. I'd get their, um, get their Facebook <laughs> or something. <laughs> WhatsApp? Are you on WhatsApp? And, and you, you know, if, figure out if they're worth talking to later, but. Yeah. yeah. So you'd stalk, you'd stalk them from the land of your dreams online, online stalking, should I say? I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. you know, you, you have part of why they like you might be because you're going. That's the thing. Well, that's certainly the case in this book, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So yeah. you can't just be someone who either you go and you go after your dreams or you're someone who just throws your dreams aside on a whim. You don't want to be that person. No, and that's not probably not an attractive quality to the girl it's or guy of your dreams. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, Can I ask yeah. you one last question? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, what would you take as your last meal? Um, there's a lot of talk about food in this and uh, yeah. so what would you what would you have if it was the last thing you could this eat? is some this is something that i have thought about a lot <laughs> over my lifetime okay. I, I would probably i would probably have a pizza i think a really well made pizza um cool. maybe quattro formaggi um, <laughs> an italian pizza which i really like would uh, you have it flown in from italy or cooked by an italian person who knew what they yeah. were doing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yes, of course. I've lived in Italy, and one of the great joys of having lived in Italy is not being in Italy anymore, <laughs> and then telling people that the pizza that they're eating is that's okay, but it's just not quite the same as it is in its motherland. So mm. I, I really enjoy that. No, um, I'm sure everyone else enjoys that too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to move on there. Oh, they love it. They love it when I say that. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, they love yeah, that. You've got to go to the source, though. I think. Um, I remember I look at quite a lot like Timothy McVeigh, I think. He's my celeb lookalike. And his last his last meal was uh, ice cream. I remember reading that when he got executed. He had like two scoops of ice cream or something. Like. Yeah. Fun I wonder facts. what kind it was. Was it Ben and Jerry's? Was it Hagen dazs Did they uh, make it at the prison? Wendy's powder, like saucer, <laughs> that kind of ice cream that they make from like powder. I bet it was that. Uh, what would your last meal be? tamales my grandma's tamales okay probably yeah, yeah. there's some, it's my grandma is old school and she learned how to make tamales from my grandfather's parents who were straight up mexican and mm -hmm. she learned how to make it with the chili ancho the ancho chilies basically and in that sauce and then pork and lard and the masa and everything so they're really 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 good they're really bad for you though but we would always have those at christmas time and i don't get them anymore because i don't live in america anymore so um, i haven't had them for quite a long time but uh yeah i think there's something about them that's you know reminds me of childhood and yeah. and um family and and um yeah it's just it's my favorite food so okay yeah something comforting i'm not, I'm not sure that the unhealthiness of them is something you're going to be really concerned with <laughs> if it's your last meal. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, got to think of my waistline before I sit in that chair. Are you, yeah. why, what chair? Are you imagining <laughs> that I'm like on death row having my last meal? I, I was thinking of this as like a, like you're about to pass away. And it's the last thing. I don't... Oh no. I was thinking, that's why I brought Timothy McVeigh up. 
your last meal is what you have before they, you know, execute you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think we were talking about that. <laughs> oh, no, we're, we're talking at cross purposes. You must have thought it was so strange when I brought up like, oh, by the way, Timothy McVeigh. What's the situation that you would have a last meal in? So it's fair enough. All right. Appropriately now, should we move on to a final thought? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a quote that you'd like to read, wouldn't you? As as always, we're going to be ending with a quote. Yeah, and this comes from right near the end of the book when um, Bijato is considering independence and what it means and whether it's worth it or not. Mm -hmm. So uh, here we go. He knew now for certain that it was impossible to cleanse her of Colum Killy. She had always lain there with him, in hard times and in good alike. She was lying there with him still. Once again, had they laid waste the lone worker's farm, they were always the same from century to century, for the simple reason that the lone worker remains the same from century to century. A war on the continent may bring some relief for a year or so, but it is only a seeming help, an illusion. The lone worker will never escape from his life of poverty. Forever and ever, he will go on existing in affliction, as long as man is not man's protector, but his worst enemy. The life of the lone worker, the life of the independent man, is in its nature a flight from other men who seek to kill him. That's a great quote. Quote. Yeah, it's a lovely sort of ending to the book as ever, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. we always seem to pick. I do think we're good at picking nice bits from books to to finish with. Definitely. And um, with that, I think we will let this go. So thank you guys for listening again. We hope you enjoyed this, and we hope you uh, read this book because it's a it's a great read, and we just really enjoyed it, and we think you would too. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. I really highly recommend it. And yeah, thank you for uh, telling me about it. And thanks for doing this episode with me. You're welcome. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.